Father, we want to thank you that this is very close to your heart. Right in the Garden of Eden, you, you set up marriage as one of those divine institutions that you desired for humanity. And now the devil is aiming to attack that very institution. He has mixed us up so much that we've forgotten what it means to experience true love. So be with us this afternoon. Help us to understand more of what it takes to have love and what it takes to give love. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're dealing with romance, courtship, and marriage. So we're going to take a look at a number of different things here. You know, the first is what I might call the dating paradigm. And that's, you know, most people are into the dating paradigm these days, which is, how do you go about finding who you're going to marry? Well, you date around. And after 5 or 6 or 25 or 26, you discover one that's the one for you. Unless you happen to get a divorce, and then you've got to look all over again. So the dating paradigm actually builds up a, a serial mentality where, where you move from one relationship to the next. You're busy, you're connecting with one person, but it doesn't really work out, or they irritate you, or they pick their nose, and so you move on to the next person. And then they do something else, and when they don't quite match up to your expectations, you move on to the next person. And so this, this concept of dating, moving from one person to the next, is prevalent in our society today. Uh, and so you can see in this magazine here, and I, had to, I really had to look hard for a magazine that I could actually put up on the screen. It was challenging, but you know, you can see the ultimate thrill for you and your guy. Um, this is a ladies' magazine, but it's got this idea, you know, what's it about? It's about the thrill, it's about getting in there, you know, what, how many positions can you get into, and, and how, do you, how do you connect with your partner? So the dating paradigm is all about the thrill of the relationships. That's where Hollywood is at. You go and watch Hollywood movies, you'll see the same scenario plays out again and again. Two people, they have a fight, they hate each other, then they get attracted to each other, they make up, there's stars and, and fireworks that fly, they, they end up connecting with each other or they marry, and that's where the movie ends, and you assume it's happily ever after. But generally, it's not. At least if you look at the Hollywood's lives, you know, the, the people in Hollywood. So we recognize that this is not God's paradigm. Uh, we actually have a society today that prevents intimacy. According to Margaret Gibbs, people are increasingly busy. We become a society where we expect things instantly and don't want to spend the time it takes to have real intimacy with another person. So we expect instantaneous intimacy. Now this even happens in our relationship with God. We think if we go into a worship service, we may not have had a connection with God over the whole week, but if we sit there and the music is just right and they can build up our emotions, we can have an instantaneous intimacy with God. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we create this feeling of, if I can just, if I can just get the right music and the right mood, I will have this instantaneous intimacy, I'll have this connection with God. And we use that in our relationships too. We don't want to have to wait on intimacy. We want to be able to hold hands tomorrow. Or, you know, or hold hands today, I'll ask you out tomorrow. And so we want to have that instantaneous connection with intimacy because we are a society that's isolated and divided. 
Statistics are uh, kind of alarming as to what's happening. In 1950, just over 10% of households uh, were one-person households, a single person. That has now grown to over 25%. So less and less people are actually moving into families or getting married, or they're divorced. The number of close confidence that people have, in 1985 it was three, in 2006 it was two. Those who have no close confidence, no one that they can connect with, 1985 it was 10%, 2006 it had moved up to 20%. We are becoming a society that's isolated, a society that's not connected. Are, are you following with me? We, this is why we have this desperate desire for intimacy. We are lonely. You know, you can look around, look at the person next to you, they're lonely. <laughs> well, at least you've got a good chance. All right. We, you, now, we come to GYC, we don't feel lonely, but what happens after GYC? You get GYC post, post-GYC syndrome. You go home and, you, and you, you, you get with your family and that's all you have, you know, and you go through this loneliness, this depression. Why are you depressed? Post-GYC syndrome, you know. So there is this loneliness that takes place, and in order to, to get out over our loneliness, what do we do? We try and have an immediate connection with another person. We want to solve it right away. So the saying today is, you, you know what, just follow your heart. Have you heard that? You know, you get together, you go to somebody, and you say, I'm really thinking about this relationship, and I don't know if it's the right thing. And they go, just follow your heart. You know, sounds so great, you know, just... You, no one else can make this decision for you. You've got to just follow your heart. Well, let me tell you that that's more Hollywood culture than it is biblical culture. And why do I say that? Because this is what the Bible says about the heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, you don't even know your own heart. I remember my brother. He was... Uh, 18 at the time, I was 14. He came home one day with a smile all over his face. He had just asked a girl to go out with him. So I was curious. You know, I was 14. So I said to him, all right, Roland, can you tell me, how do you know it's true love? He looked at me. He says, you just know. Don't you just hate those answers? (laughs) So I said, no, 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 tell me more. He says, I'll tell you how I know it's true love. He says, I would die for this woman. I would, I would go, I would be run over by a train, I still remember that, if I had to for this woman. That relationship lasted one week. <laughs> See, we don't even know our own hearts, so we think, wow, if I, just, if I have these great feelings and, and I'm following my heart, I'll do right. And the reality is our hearts are fickle, amen? What you feel today, you're not going to feel tomorrow. How many of you, now, now be, just be brave, how many of you have felt strong feelings for another person and those feelings changed? Almost everybody. Wow. So don't just follow your heart. So why are our relationships such a mess? What's the cause? You know, have you ever found you get into a relationship and it, you just argue with that person and, and it ends up being a mess, it's complicated, there's conflict? What's the cause of that conflict, that complication? Let's turn to James chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 1. James chapter 4. Man, let's get it right out of the Bible. James chapter 4, and reading from verse 1. It says, from whence or from where comes wars and fightings among you? In other words, where's all this relationship conflict coming from? James 4 verse 1. 
It says, come they not even of your lusts or desires, that's a, a better word for lust there, that war in your members. You desire, verse 2, and you have not. You kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, and you have not because you ask not. In other words, you're not praying about it. Then he says, those who do ask, in verse 3, those who do pray, they don't receive. Why? Because they ask amiss, that they consume it upon their own lusts or desires. He says, don't you know, in verse 4, you adulterers and adulteresses. Boy, you know, that's addressed to a church, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, stand up and preach that one Sabbath. (laughs) You adulterers. (laughs) Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I mean, this is powerful stuff. The reason why our relationships are a mess, what do you think it is? Selfishness. Selfishness. We want to spend things on ourselves. We want to fulfill our own desires. Why do we get into relationships? It's not because you love the other person. It's because of how it makes you feel. So we get into relationships because, man, when I'm with her, I feel like a million dollars. And when I'm not with her, I can't think about anything else. So what's it about? Is it about her or is it about me? It's about me. It's about my desires. I want to spend time, time with her. We call it codependency. I can't live without you, baby. You know, the, the kind of songs you hear. You know, uh, I guess they rap them these days, but it's the same thing. You know? Yeah, I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> so, so, you know, we get into this thing where we're saying... Man, I, I want to be with you. I need to be with you. Who's it about? It's about us. Now, hey, there's some seats over along there, a couple of seats. Can you guys just shift in? You know, you know there's a, a you press together, not too much together. You know, just press together, move to the center. If you've got some seats available in the center, just kind of ease in, and that will help uh, open up some spaces on the side. And uh, that way some at the back can sit down. So just press together. Don't sit on each other's laps. But uh, by all means, come together. All right. So why are relationships in such a mess? Because we are in the relationship for ourselves and not for the other person. See, there's two paths. There is lust and there is love. And you might say, oh, you know, I, I'm, I love the other person. But we really want to examine that. I encourage you to listen to the previous lecture online if you weren't here earlier about what lust is. There's a few seats over on this side. Please come on in. So what we want, you know, think about whether this is lust or love. What's really going on here? Is your heart in this for the other person or for yourself? Now here's how it works. The lust path begins with the tingles. Now do you know what I mean by the tingles? Now, now, most of us go through the tingles, even if I, you know, unless you have disconnected your hormones from your body, you are likely at some stage to experience the tingles. I, I experienced, when I, was, when I first met my wife, I was at a, a potluck lunch, and I turned around to her at the same time she was leaning forward to hear what I was going to say, and her, her chin touched my shoulder. And, and I just felt this like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this is, and, and she, we, we never said a word to each other, but she felt the same thing. And, and her thought was, has it been that long since I touched the guy? 
So all of us tend to experience the tingles, those feelings that like, wow, you know, the chemistry, the connection, uh, being able to, to feel something when you see that person. So we experience the tingles. This is not uncommon, but let me tell you this. Don't date everybody that you experience the tingles with. I have had tingles for real losers. <laughs> you know, you... I, I, and I've known people, they like say, this is it. Well, how do you know it's it? I just feel it. I feel it in my body. They walk into the room and it's like, you know, this, the, this, the symphony begins to play as they walk into the room. And they say, I, with these connections, I know that this is, this is it. A week later, it's gone. What happened to me? I was interested in a girl, fine Christian young lady. I was a theology student. And I was interested in her. I travel all the way to go see. I have to get on this bus. This is in Africa that has chickens on it, you know, and there's chickens sitting next to me on this bus, but it doesn't matter. I'm on the way to discover God's will for my life. I'm going to meet this young lady. So I get to to meet her, and she's a nice person. We start getting to know each other. And um, back then, I wasn't convicted like I am about this today, but back then, I still believed it was okay to go to movies. Bad mistake. So I, I spoke to her father, and he lends me their pickup truck to go out to watch a drive-in movie. And he puts a mattress in the back of the pickup truck. All I can say is, he must have really trusted me. So, so there we are, we go, we park the back of the pickup truck facing the screen, we have the mattress there, we're leaning back, you know, there's that little six-inch rule between us. But we're watching this movie, the music's playing, I forget what it was, Free Willy or something like that. <laughs> and so we're watching, we're watching this, this movie, and, and I'm looking at her, and as the music's playing, I look across, and, and it's just this romantic atmosphere. I mean, I'm looking at her, and, and there's like this halo above her head, and, and I, I look down, and I'm just thinking, wow, this is incredible. And before I know what I'm doing, I look across at her and I go, will you go out with me? I'm like, did I just say that? I look across at her, she's smiling back. But, but in that moment, it's like the screen cracks. I'm looking at her and, I, and I, I've reached out and I've touched her hand and I recognize she's a farmer's girl and her hand's real rough. And I'm going, wow, what a rough hand. And, <laughs> and I'm looking and it's, it's like the, everything's cracked, the, like the music stopped playing. I'm looking and I'm like, what on earth have I done? And she goes, she goes yes. And I look at her and go, <laughs> and so she goes, did you hear what I say? I said, yes. And I go, that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> And the next day I had to tell her that I had made a horrible mistake. I had gotten caught up in the moment. I, my feelings had betrayed me. I had gone to this movie and, and the moment and the feelings had betrayed me. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I want to encourage you, don't just go off the tingles. Now here's what happens if you go off the tingles. You meet each other, you have this chemistry for a moment, and then... Everything else in the dating paradigm tends to go on impressions. You get this, you know, you're, you're so out to impress each other. You know, whereas before you spent 15 minutes in front of the mirror, now you spend an hour and 15 minutes. You know, when you, when you meet up with them, you're constantly, you know, how, how do I look? Is this okay? I, you know, you, you're just aware of yourself. It's all on the basis of impressions. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you are concerned with the outward look. 
And then you start flirting with each other. I'm just telling you the world's paradigm. You start flirting, you know, you start dropping little comments and you, you get connected with each other and smile at them. And, and as, you, as you start looking into their eyes, you're, you're looking like, can I get their, their heart racing? And you want your own heart to race. So you play this game with each other. You kind of touch them. You, you, you connect with them. And it's all a flirtatious game. And as your hormones start racing, there comes a point where you say, hey, why don't we just date each other? And why are you wanting to date? What's the purpose behind your dating? It's intimacy. You want to get closer to them. You want to build a bond with them. And so we date to get intimacy. And then somewhere along the way, and maybe it's not sex, maybe it's just physical interaction with each other, you do it to get a thrill. Now, men and women are different. What did they say? Woman, give sex to get love. And men give love to get, to get sex. And so when you look at that, you know, the bottom line is we are looking to fulfill our own desires. It's about our thrill. And we end up with test drive commitments. How many of you have heard this? Hey, why don't we just date? You know, it's kind of like you've been single for a while. I've been single for a while. We like each other. You're a nice person. I'm a nice person, maybe. And so we, we get the idea. Let's just test drive this commitment. We'll see what happens. We'll just date. It'll be fun. The bottom line is you're going to break somebody's heart. So the whole dating paradigm is working off what gives me a thrill, what's fun. The last path is that is this is what it's going to lead to. A marriage based on self and selfishness is a marriage of misery. I know so many marriages that have ended up on the rocks instead of on the rock because they've been based on selfishness. Eventually it all goes back to the beginning. The honeymoon fades. You discover that uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend is capable of the same bodily odors as you are. (laughs) The hormone rush is over. And you get to the point where suddenly you go, you know what, it's just not happening anymore. I just don't feel the same way about you. And then, what do you know? You meet somebody else and you experience the tingles with them. Oh, I get it, I get it. I was dating the wrong person. I'm supposed to be dating this person. This is who I have chemistry with. And so what do you do? You move on to the next relationship. The tingles are a dangerous way to base your relationship because it becomes about the thrill. Now notice this. This is from a recent survey, uh, 2003, I think. Nearly two-thirds of Americans between the ages of 18 and 35 have experienced a major breakup in the last 10 years. Half of the women say they initiated the splits, whereas only a third of the men say their partner dumped them. That means somebody's lying. (laughs) 38% of the men say it was mutual, whereas only 28% of the women say it was mutual. That means somebody's lying. We have gotten into a, a pattern in our world today where we have accepted that, hey, you know, relationships are going to are going to happen, and so we should just date. It doesn't really matter. And we've accepted breakups, and this is what I believe. Breakups are not God's idea. Now, you want to be honest with me? How many of you have been through a breakup? A number of you. Was it a good thing, or was it a mess? It was a mess, right? I mean, you hurt. Somebody got hurt. Of course, the person who does the initiating, they get off a little better. But uh, somebody's going to get hurt. Woman said the number one reason 
for a breakup was infidelity, while men said it was because they, quote, grew apart. Somebody's lying. <laughs> Physical and emotional abuse made up 25% of breakups for women compared to just 10% for men. In other words, you know who's uh, responsible here. That's a frightening statistic. A quarter of all relationships that break up do so because of abuse. And you know what we found out? It takes six or seven times before a woman is able to leave an abusive relationship. You do not want to get into abusive relationships. So following God's method is going to save you a tremendous amount of heartache and misery. Uh, yeah, and you can see what the author thought of that. Love stinks statistics on failed relationships. <laughs> Here's how it works. It's like two pieces of wood. Have any of you ever glued two pieces of wood together? Have you ever tried to unglue those pieces of wood? It's pretty difficult. I mean, you can eventually kind of knock them apart. But if you've really glued those pieces of wood together well, you will always leave on each side of the wood a piece of the other piece of wood. Now, take that same piece of wood which has some parts of the other plank of wood and go and glue it to another piece of wood. Then rip it apart and go and glue it to another piece of wood. You get the idea? How easily is that piece of wood going to glue in the future? It's going to be bumpy. It's not going to have a solid surface to glue on. And yet that is what is happening in our relationships. We have become attached to another person. You always take a piece of that other person with you. What happens in your relationships? You wonder why there's so many landmines in your relationships? Look to your past relationships. And you see, aha, it's because of the way I was treated in my past relationship that I have these problems in the present relationship. Now, I'm not saying you can't overcome that. I dated girls that in the end it wasn't a good idea and I had breakups. And yet today I am very, very happily married. And uh, my wife likes being on the floor. You know, it's a sign of humility, I guess. <laughs> no, she, she just, she just uh, is giving up her seat for someone else. So thank you. So she, she is somebody I've connected with. We have a great relationship, but we have to heal from our past relationships. But you know what we tend to do today? We get over our relationships by dating someone else. So before we've healed, we try and glue ourselves to somebody else and create a mess. So let's deal, that was the last portion. Let's deal with what is true love. True love, according to Adventist homepage 50, true love is a high and holy emotion. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're awake. It's, no, it's a high and holy principle. Altogether different in character from that love which is awakened by impulse. She just never used the word tingles for some reason. <laughs> from that love which is awakened by impulse and which suddenly dies when severely tested. So what we're dealing with here is that true love is not just something that Wow, my heart's beating. I just can't wait to meet up with the other person. No, true love is something that is of a high and holy principle. True love is not a strong, fiery, impetuous passion. That's what Hollywood defines true love as. On the contrary, it is calm and deep in its nature. It looks beyond mere externals and is attracted by qualities alone. It is wise and discriminating, and its devotion is real and abiding. In other words, true love is based on character and principle, and not just on feeling. So God's way is going to be quite different from the way of the world, and that's what we're going to be dealing with. Now, love is transforming. 
And I believe this is what happens with true love. Don't you just love this quote? You don't love a woman because she's beautiful, but she's beautiful because you love her. You see, it is our love that transforms them. You know, they say beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. It's true. I mean, sometimes I'll say, I don't know what you see in that person, but praise the Lord. <laughs> I could not be in your shoes. But, but I recognize that love transforms. When you, when you begin to love a person for who they are inside, instead of how much they generate your hormonal response, then you, you have true love. And you know what? They will become beautiful. How many of you watched uh, that old Mormon movie about Johnny Lingo? You know, where, uh, maybe this is beyond you, yeah, because it's kind of film and real, but I, it's the whole idea of if you, if you love, he loves this woman who's not even worth a cow, according to her father, on this, on this island. And so he comes to bargain for her, and they say, maybe we'll get two cows out of, out of this woman. And, and they think, no way, if he gives us a cow, we'll be happy. And then he offers eight cows, and everybody's, because in that system, your value was determined by how many cows your husband paid for you. I know, bad system. (laughs) But what happens is, because he values her as an eight-cow wife, she ends up being transformed into being a beautiful person, an incredible person. And the father eventually comes back to Johnny Lingo and says, you tricked me. She was worth ten cows, kind of thing, and you only gave me eight. But it was because of the way he loved her the way he loved her. Here's what the Bible says. You know it well. I'm giving it to you from the CEV version. Love is kind and patient, never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. Love never fails. Now, honestly, folks, when you look at our dating relationships, we don't love that other person. Why? Because I'm going to date you as long as I like to. You know, it's kind of like one of the marriage vows, I think, that uh, my wife was telling me about, where they had in the marriage vow, it was basically, I will, you know, I promise to love you until death. It was, I promise to love you as long as you love me. You know, it just doesn't work that way. So the bottom line is, character is more important than chemistry. So what you're looking for is that person's character and how to connect with that person's character, not just the tingles and how they make you feel. See, the Bible talks a lot about the two shall become one. Now, what does that mean? I mean, I don't want another person to become exactly like me. You know, because that, that wouldn't be any good. I don't want to marry myself. You know, I guess that's one option. Staying single, marry yourself. But, but you really want, what is oneness? Oneness is common beliefs, common goals, mutual respect, intimacy, unconditional, affectionate, and intimate devotion to each other that encourages mutual growth in the image of God. Are you getting the idea? Oneness is a commitment to see that other person become like Jesus. Oneness means that ministry is the purpose of marriage. So when you think about marriage, it shouldn't be... I mean, some guys, you know, guys and girls talk about marriage differently. And we kind of hinted at that on our uh, introductions. You know, girls dream about this great wedding day. 
The guy, I mean, he doesn't care. I mean, he's there to make it legal kind of thing. <laughs> and so he, he's not, he hasn't been dreaming. You know, when, uh, when you think about the wedding day, I mean, the guy starts thinking about it when he has to ask this woman to marry him. How, how, how soon do women start thinking about their wedding day? I don't know, but my daughter is four years old and she's talking about getting married. I mean, this is scary. <laughs> you know, women think about it from, from this high. So what do guys think about? You know, what do they talk about in their secret rooms? The wedding night. And it's all about the thrills. You know, what's going to happen in my wedding night? So we're going to get to that. That's the next session. We're going to get to the wedding night. But let me tell you this. Marriage isn't about how this other person can thrill you. It's about how you can minister to them so they become like Jesus. Amen. A lot of woman voices there. All right. <laughs> Here are some stages that I'm going to suggest that you go through. Stage one is before you get into a relationship, prepare yourself. You know, some people are just like, I can't wait anymore. I have to get into a relationship right now. Now, as I look through the Bible, God makes people wait all the time. I mean, don't think that you're unique. He tells Abraham, you're going to have a son. And from that son is going to come a whole nation. How long is it between when Abraham is given that promise and when God fulfills it? 20, well, 24 years and 25 years till the ultimate fulfillment. So 24 years before he sees the promise begin to be fulfilled. And here he is. I mean, 24 years. You know what? You're going to have a great, a great partner. I mean, you're going to have a spouse who's incredible. And, and from that marriage is going to come incredible things. But by the way, you're going to have to wait 24 years. Any takers? I mean, we don't like waiting. But the reality is... God makes people wait. So I was reading a sermon on the story of Abraham, and right in the middle of the sermon was this gem. What you become while you wait is more important than what you're waiting for. You see, God wants to use the waiting period for a reason. That's why when God created Adam, he made him single. Did you, did you get that? I mean, he didn't, he didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time. He wanted Adam to know what it was like to wait for his partner. Because that singleness was a time of preparation for when he could meet up with her. God encourages us to wait. So prepare yourself. Read some good books. Uh, there's great books on marriage. Marriage on the Rock. Uh, what's, an, what's another one? What's Larry Crabb's one? Anyway, Larry Crabb has, has a... Great book on, on marriage. And so read some, read some articles, find out about things. Stage two, develop friendships. Before you get into a relationship, you need friendships. Here's why I believe friendships are important. Friendships help you to mature w- before you get into a complicated, highly emotional relationship. You see, when you're in a highly emotional relationship, you do dumb things. And you don't even know why you do it. You go, why did I get so angry? When you have friendships outside of that highly emotional relationship, you can work through that stuff before it's a matter of your whole self-esteem and your ego is on the line. Are you, you following this? Friendships provide the nice space where you can work through who you are and your identity. The reality is, if you're 18, 19, you don't know who you are. 
look how you were when you were 16. I mean, you're a completely different person. So we shared with, uh, with the group this morning that the longer you wait, the better your chances of your marriage succeeding. Uh, so if you marry after the age of 25, your marriage has a much higher statistical chance of succeeding than a person who marries at the age of 18. So every year you wait improves your statistical chances. That's why God has let some of you wait as long as you have. All right? So friendships are this great stage where you can develop. I'll be honest with you. I had three, three and a half years when I did not date a single person before I met my wife. Three and a half years. And before that, I dated a girl for three and a half years. And it didn't work out. I, I was a moron in, those, in that relationship. I mean, I did stupid things like, uh, you know, I would, get, I would get mad and get out of the car and leave her sitting in the car and I would just walk, you know. And I, oh, I'm mad now. And I get up and I walk. I was childish. You know what I'm talking about? I had the emotional intelligence of, of a snake, you know. <laughs> and so... And so I needed to grow and develop, and I needed to do that outside of a complicated relationship. So that's develop your friendships. Get to know other people uh, and do it without complicating it with a relationship. Now, stage three, eventually the stage comes when you start developing an interest. Now, here's what I say. Don't start a fire unless you plan to control the burning. You know, those who start fires and have no backup plan, I mean, they are people that, that end up causing a lot of damage. Don't plan to start developing a commitment with another person if you're not going anywhere with it. Why are you even expressing an interest to the other person? So somewhere along the, the way, you're going to meet somebody and there's going to be chemistry. You have to weigh up, yes, there's chemistry, but there's times when you just got to say, I don't need to do anything about this chemistry. This is a bad idea. But there are times when you say, no, I think that I may want to take this further. And so what do you do next? Seek God's will. Ellen White says, if you're praying twice a day, pray four times a day. The basic idea is you, you better get on your knees before you start going to the other person. We often uh, leap before we really think about it. So get on your knees, you know, pray about it. I remember uh, one, the girl I dated for three and a half years, how did that start? Because of what I mentioned earlier. You know, we were saying, we're great friends, we like each other, why don't we just date? Sounds like a good thing to do. Three and a half years later, after a lot of misery, we broke it off. It's not worth it. Then get some advice. The reality is, you are confused when you're in love. When you're infatuated, and I, I use in love broadly, when you're infatuated, you can't think straight. Uh, you know, have you ever had this? I remember one time I, had be, I was infatuated with a girl, and I went to go work out, and I was on the treadmill. And with every move of that treadmill, I could hear her name, Shawnee. Shawnee, you know, and it was just going over, you know, and until I, I couldn't think, you know, I'd go to sleep at night and I would have, I would have these, these visions of her, you know, and that kind of thing. And I, I just couldn't get her out of my head. I was infatuated. I couldn't think straight. Well, I should have paid attention to what my friends were telling me. Don't get involved. This isn't a good idea. Don't get involved. You're going to mess up. I couldn't hear it, you see, because infatuation will not listen to reason. 
And you know, I'll, I, how, how many of you know people who, who have dated losers? How many of you try to talk to them about it? What was the response? Oh, but I love him. You know, this whole evangelism dating business. If I date him, I'm doing it because I'll bring him closer to Jesus. Right. <laughs> well, you're sitting on his lap. No, the reality is... The reality is, you need, you need to wake up and, and, and smell the... What do we drink in Adventism? The postum, right? <laughs> well, wake up and smell the postum. You know, the re, you, if you're looking at your feelings, you're going to be misled. Don't trust your feelings. Get advice. Ellen White gives some questions we gave them earlier. Will this union lead me heavenward? Will it increase my love for God? Will it in, uh, and will it increase my sphere of usefulness in this life? If She says if these questions uh, are answered positively, then she says, in the fear of God, move forward. But it's, it's within the context of the fear of God. She says in the same section, make haste slowly. In other words, she's not saying make haste. She knows that you're going to make haste. She's saying, do it slowly. You know, don't rush into it. So as you have this interest, don't rush into it. Pray about it. Get the advice of, of godly people. Get the advice of your parents. And, and go about this cautiously. Don't run into it. Then stage four, assess your options. Here are your options. Stay friends. Which means you're going to have to create some space between you. Stop talking about all that intimate emotional stuff. Another option Run for your life. <laughs> this could be a bad idea. I, and, and it happens. I remember I was a pastor, a chaplain, and I was attracted to this. And it, I got the tingles. That's why I say don't follow the tingles. I met this, this uh, girl who had come for a wedding, and I was attracted to her. She was a Pentecostal, Christmas tree looking um, <laughs> Highly emotional, totally different from me kind of person. And yet there was chemistry. You know, we just looked at each other. Whoa! You know, and this is chemistry. Now what did I have to do? Run. Right, I, I know C.D. Brooks says sometimes we don't run from sin. We kind of crawl away from it hoping it will catch up with us. <laughs> and, and so the challenge is if you're really going to run, run. You know, there are some situations you just realize I'm falling. I've got to get out of this. This isn't good. I've got to get away. Proceed cautiously. This is your third option in getting to know each other. You notice I haven't listed a fourth option for madly in love, date and get married. That is not a good idea. All right, then stage five. I'm going to deal with some principles for how you can discover the character of the other person. Because I believe that it's not just about emotions, it's about character. So how are you going to, about, going to go about discovering the character of the other person? The first principle is easy. Communicate. And we're going to go through each one of these. Then conflict resolution. Then Christ-likeness. Then commitment. When I thought back on my relationship with my previous girlfriend, I realized I had really messed up. So I said, what is going to be the most critical things in my new relationship? What am I going to look for if I ever find the right person? And this is what I came up with. I came up with these four principles. And they helped to guide me to my beautiful wife. One of the things is communication. My previous girlfriend 
She, she was not a communicator. She used to say, I'm like an open book. The challenge is you don't know which page I'm on. <laughs> but the reality is she wasn't an open book for me. We did not know how to communicate. I have found that men and women are different when it comes to communication. I read a great book, Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. Now, here's what they mean. Men compartmentalize. You know, they have these little categories, and, and they work in that category. Here's my work box. You know what waffles are like? You've got little boxes. And so here's my work box. Here's my play box. Here's my relationship box. And they have these little boxes, and they just run in between them. And men can highly focus as a result. They get into one narrow little area. That's all they can think about. Try disturbing a guy while he's watching television. He doesn't even hear you. All right? So they have these little boxes. Now, women are like spaghetti. Have you ever tried to follow a piece of spaghetti, one piece of spaghetti through your plate? <laughs> you, you can't, because that piece of spaghetti touches another piece of spaghetti, which touches another piece of spaghetti. So here's how it works. I am focused. You know, I am going to communicate with my, you know, with my spouse about something. And she's highly relational, because m- women, their two sides of their brain are more connected than men's. So she's highly relational. So we start, I mention Jane. I say, how's Jane doing? She starts telling me about Jane, and then she says, yeah, you know, what I'm thinking about Jane, Mary has the same problem. Then she starts talking about Mary, and then she realized that Mary's been attending a Bible study, and at the Bible study there's, well, there's electricity here this afternoon, and at the Bible study there's also uh, a guy named John, and he's been having problems with depression. And I just wonder when our youth are going to get done with depression and what we can do about depression in our society. And I'm thinking, I was just wanting to talk about Jane. You know? (laughs) So, so what happens with women, because they're so relational, every aspect of their lives tends to connect to other aspects. Are you following me here? Now, I'm not saying every single person, I don't want to stereotype, but as a general rule, men and women tend to think differently. So when we're communicating, you have to understand, hey, this person may actually be built differently from me. And I'm expecting them to be exactly the same. I'm expecting them to think like I do. So in communication, you've got to develop the capacity of entering into their world. Then the other way to get to know them is that what we found is that men like to cave and women like to talk. So when there's a problem going on, you know, and I've got a a big problem, what am I going to do? Leave me alone. I'm going to go into my cave. I'm going to solve this problem. All you have to do is bring food, leave it at the cave door. I will come out, eat the food, go back into my cave, and I'm happy. Instead, instead, that drives my wife nuts, because I want to talk about it, honey. When you go into your cave, it feels like you're rejecting me. And I'm like, I just need my cave. I need my space. Now, on the other hand, when she comes to me with the problem, I think she wants me to solve it. I will go into my cave, figure out the answer, and then deliver it to her. You know what, honey? The reason why you feel lonely, or the reason why, the reason why you feel like I'm not caring about you, is because you've had a hard time lately. You haven't, you haven't been able to, to process your feelings. And, and so you've, you've had some issues going on. And just think about A, B, and C. This is why you have a problem. And she's going, I don't want you to give me a solution. I just want you to listen. 
Because often women like to talk through the issues. That's how they resolve them. Are you all following me? So I'm not saying this is everyone. I'm just saying that understand the differences because God created us differently. And we're wired differently. Then learn to share without going too fast. Uh, you know, when you are involved in a relationship, it's easy to get, to, to get down to how you feel and start discussing your feelings. And as we shared with an earlier seminar, if you go too quickly in your feelings, that will create an intimacy that you guys can't handle yet. So, so work your way through. Discuss, go from, as we said, from facts to opinions and then down to feelings, and then to your deep feelings. Don't get to a lot of your deep feelings in an early stage of the relationship. Oh, my previous boyfriend, he made me feel like this, and get to real intimate moments. You're not ready for that. Build your relationship slowly. And communication is a great way to find out about each other. We mentioned a book earlier that we used. When we started getting interested in each other, and we finally made that step, we said, let's find out about each other. We got this book called Really Getting to Know Your Life. Life made to be, really getting to know your life made to be. A great book because it asks questions like, if you were going to buy a present for your dad, what would it be? If you were going to buy a present for my dad, what would it be? If we had a handicapped child, how would you handle that? If uh, we were going to go on vacation, where would you go? Why would you go there? So just a number of neat questions that helped us to get to know about each other. Now, you're not going to cover everything, but what we learned in our core team was that if we had a strong enough relationship base, basis, we knew we could handle anything. We could work through anything. And that helped us work through a particular situation. For some reason, I noticed that my wife liked buying bananas. I, we had had a lot of long distance, and we had never really lived in the same place together. We had had time together. But somehow bananas had never come up. So she goes out and buys bananas for me and buys this whole nice big bunch of bananas. And I start eating the bananas, but I notice she doesn't eat the bananas. And so I'm eating the bananas, and then, you know, the bananas start getting those, those little spots on them, which I just can't stand that. They go all sugary. You know what I'm talking about? And so they go all sugary, and I just can't stand that. So I quickly ate up the bananas before those spots, uh, you know, started to predominate. So she, she doesn't eat any bananas. But because she sees that I like bananas, what a loving wife she is, she goes out and she buys twice the number of bananas. <laughs> so I go and I start you know, eating the bananas, and I'm thinking, well, I like bananas, but I'm not sure I like this many bananas. <laughs> so I eat the bananas, and once again, just you know, they start getting those little spots on them, so I quickly race through the bananas. She doesn't eat any bananas. But she goes out and she buys three times the number of bananas. <laughs> And now, you know, I'm thinking, wow, you know, I can only eat so many bananas. Now, what should we have done? We should have communicated. But anyway, so here we are. I'm starting to eat these bananas, and I'm going through them. And I, I'm, I'm checking through those bananas as fast as I can. And eventually, there's one banana left, and it starts getting those spots on them that I just know, man, that banana, I have got to eat it up before it gets any more spots. So I grab that last banana, and I eat it. And she comes in with a shocked look on her face. And then there's, there's this realization that occurs. She says, you're not one of those strange people who think that bananas are overripe when they have spots on them. She says, I was waiting for a banana to finally get ripe, and you ate it. 
she, she, she qualified a banana as ripe when it had spots on it. And I, I qualified a banana as ripe when it had just a touch of green. And so those things were working against each other. Now what we learned from our courting was if we communicated, we could work things through. And we did. And it was a great laugh and it makes a great story. But communication had really built us being able to work through things like that. So communicate, find out about each other. And by the way, do you, do you, how many like slightly green bananas? Uh, yeah, you guys are great. <laughs> how many like bananas with a few spots on them? Yeah, it's about 50-50. That's what I thought. You switch sides. All right. Then the next thing you need is conflict resolution. Now, we've found that find out the other person's style. What we've, from, from studies, they've discovered there are five different kinds of styles that people have in conflict. Some people are turtles. They basically go into their shell whenever there's a conflict, and they run from conflict. Oh, no, there's conflict. <laughs> and then they go to their shell. And, and, you might, and, and turtles often marry people who are not turtles. Or they marry people who are turtles and they never have any problems, but there's this constant tension going on. You know what I'm talking about? Then there are people who are teddy bears. People who are teddy bears will protect the relationship at any cost. So, you know, a teddy bear is, is somebody, oh, you want to do that? Oh, sure, let's do that. But inside, they're sacrificing their goals in order to protect the relationship. I was really a teddy bear. I had to learn how to come out of my shell and express what I really felt. And so some are teddy bears. And teddy bears tend to marry sharks. Who are sharks? Sharks don't worry about the relationship. They worry about achieving their goals. What do you mean you don't want to do that? We're going to do that. I don't care. You know, and now that's an extreme. But people who are sharks tend to really be firm about their opinions. They'll tell you exactly what they feel and why you should be doing what they want to do. And they marry a teddy bear. So guess what happens? The shark is happy for about two years. And then they discover that the teddy bear has become highly resentful. So you've got to figure out ahead of time how you're going to deal with your different personality styles. Then there's the fox. The fox is always compromising between the relationship and the goals. Well, let's find a compromise. And then there are the very rare people who can be owls. And they are people who are able to find win-win between the relationship, keeping their relationship, and achieving their goals, they find a win-win. Now, you can't always find a win-win. It's not always possible. But, but owls aim toward that. And so you need to examine where do you fall and how are you going to handle conflict in your relationship. By the way, a lack of conflict is not a good sign. If you have a relationship where there's no conflict, they've discovered that that is a sign of a lack of trust. Did you all get that? If there's no conflict, I mean, people who come to me say, you know, we haven't had a fight and it's just been wonderful. I go, oh, please. You know, hey, hey, I'm praying for them to have a conflict because the reality is they're not being honest with one another. When you trust each other, you can afford to say your real feelings. Everyone with me? So trust creates a, an environment where you can deal with conflict. No conflict, no trust. So think about the strategies you use to deal with problems. How do you work things through? Are you just, do you just kind of sit down and smile at each other? I'll tell you how most dating relationships work things through. Hey, let's kiss and make up. Isn't that right? 
You just, you just physical intimacy. Oh, now we feel close to each other again. But you haven't resolved the conflict. So don't rely on physical intimacy to resolve conflicts. Instead, have a plan. How are we going to talk this through? Find out how you deal with things. And uh, make sure that your conflicts la- lead you toward Jesus. And that's your, the third point here, Christ-likeness. I wanted to meet a person who was deeply spiritual. I wanted to weigh up, do they love to pray and read their Bibles? Or is it a show? You know, I, I've discovered how spiritual people become when they first start dating. Suddenly they're talking about Jesus all the time. You know, they, they haven't talked about Jesus in three years. Then they start dating and next thing it's like, oh yeah, I was having my devotions this morning. You know, and they become, why are they doing it? To impress the other person. Particularly guys, you know, they suddenly develop a halo overnight. And so you want to check this out. How real is this? Do they really love God or is it temporary? And then, you know, some people love to get together and pray together. But I say, don't let your prayer meeting turn into a press conference. What I mean is, you know, don't, don't oppress the flesh during your prayer meeting. You know, you get together and you hold each other's hands while you pray. I mean, you're not thinking about Jesus. <laughs> you know, in that moment, and you're building intimacy. Prayer is a deeply intimate act. And so sometimes prayer is a way of building intimacy with the other person. And it has nothing to do with God. It's about, wow, if we pray to God, we'll build intimacy. So instead, mediate your relationship through Christ. Make sure that He's at the focus. So I I don't believe in just loving my spouse. I love my spouse through Jesus. I give myself over to Jesus. And when I do that, then I can truly love my spouse. Weigh every sentiment against the Word of God. Where am I going with this? Now, you're going to be tempted. I mean, you're going to be tempted to do things that you shouldn't do if you're normal. (laughs) There are possibly some abnormal people who experience no temptation. But Jesus experienced temptation, right? So you've got to weigh, where am I going with this temptation? Am I taking it to the Lord or am I giving into it? If you're giving into it, get out. Get, Get out of that situation. Don't continue. And then commitment. And just weigh your commitment. Let your commitment develop in stages. And, you know, that's where we're going to move to in the next session. We're going to be talking about how do you develop this commitment? How do you let it grow to the right point where you're ready to stand at the altar and say, I do? And, but don't rush into it. Don't do it on feelings. Let your commitment develop through a covenant. And do we have our covenant here, honey? Okay, you know, um, we just, for our final thing this afternoon, I just want to share with you, as we started getting to know each other, we said, first of all, I said to, to Nicole, I asked her out. And I said, will you go out with me? And then she said to me, you know what, I'm not ready to date you. She rejected me. <laughs> and, and so I said, all right. So I said, I'm not going to ask you the big question. I'm going to ask you the not so big question. Now, this was smart, guys. I said, I don't want to date you. You're right. We're not ready to date. What I want to find out is I want to discover God's will for this relationship to know whether we should consider marriage or not. That was smart, guys. (laughs) And she agreed. And so we drew up a covenant. We drew up a covenant that would define how we would go about getting to know each other. And, and, and we, we got to the point where we said, let's court each other. We said, we now believe that God has brought us to a point where we should pursue marriage. I mean, we're not committing to marriage. We're pursuing marriage. 
but we want to do it in an appropriate, God-centered way. And uh, if we can find it here, I want to just read it to you. This is the covenant we wrote. And, and I'll read one line, and then I'm going to have Nicole read uh, every other line. Because of our commitment to love God supremely and our neighbor as ourselves, we promise by God's will to hold to the following principles as we seek God's will for our lives. By God's grace, this is what we were going to do. We covenant... Maybe you should read. Yeah, okay, I'll read because of the, um, the mic. We covenant to keep God as the first priority in our lives. We choose to nurture our relationship with God spending time daily with Him, even if it means less time with each other. We covenant to seek God's will at every step. We are willing to challenge and forsake our personal preferences and opinions by examining them against His word, His actions, and His leading. We promise to support and uphold each other's ministries, respecting one another's spiritual gifts and talents. We also commit ourselves to finding ways in which we can work as a team, building up and sharpening each other so that we can mutually strengthen the body of Christ. We promise to be honest with each other, telling the truth in love. We refuse to play games with each other's feelings or to engage in any form of manipulation. We commit ourselves to openly sharing within an atmosphere of trust, love and respect. Oh, where did I end? Yeah. We will listen carefully, showing empathy, genuineness, and acceptance. When we fail or disappoint one another, we will communicate about the problem, forgive, and ask forgiveness where appropriate. We will seek to lovingly challenge both ourselves and each other to grow beyond our comfort zones to the place where we more fully reflect God's image. We choose to avoid other romantic attachments until we are sure of the will of God for our relationship. If, after prayerful consideration and counsel, either of us believes God is not leading us together, he or she will be free to share the reasons why in honesty and to terminate the relationship without guilt. We aim to develop a balanced, holistic relationship centered on Jesus Christ. We will therefore seek to honor God in all aspects of our conversation and life. While we will nurture spontaneity and expression of our feelings, we will also evaluate whether these are in line with the will of God. We promise to express our love for each other only in ways appropriate to the purity of a Christian relationship. And we knew that wasn't going to be enough, so we added this. (laughs) We therefore covenant to avoid all kissing, prolonged or intense hugging, and any caresses incompatible with Christian purity. Our first kiss was on the day we got married. Amen! And it was great. Okay, okay, we won't demonstrate it now. All right. (laughs) Our relationship will seek to express genuine love and respect for God and each other while keeping our minds clear and consciences pure. We covenant, and in spite of that, we had to add this, we covenant to not let our longing slay the appetite of our living. We will live joyously and fully in the presence of God. And then, finally, out of our unselfish commitment to God and each other, we promise to faithfully follow this covenant to the best of our ability, praying for wisdom to discern the will of God and the courage to follow it. Let's pray. 
Father, I want to pray for this group of dear people here. You know that there are heavy things on their hearts right now. They're thinking about their futures, their relationships, what they're doing. I want to encourage them to do it your way. Enough of lust and more of divine love. Lord, we want to do it to lift you up. We want a relationship that ultimately we can take to heaven. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.